you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Right now on Fast Talks, jumping as investors count down to tomorrow's midterm elections with several key business issues on the ballot. We're rolling out your midterm survival guide. Plus, Meta Mayhem shares jumping as the company gets ready for massive layoffs. But with the stock still down more than 70% in the last year, is now the time to cut your losses and run. And later, Tesla in trouble. Will Elon Musk's focus on Twitter make the road rocky for his other companies? The chart master is here to lay out his case. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq market site in the heart of Times Square. On the desk tonight, Bono and Ice and Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan and Guy Dami will join us in just moments. And we start off tonight with a big rally on Wall Street to kick off the week. The Dow climbing more than 1.3 percent is now up nearly 15 percent from October lows. S&P and Nasdaq also rising nearly a percent today as investors await a big week for stocks. Tomorrow's midterm elections, Thursday CPI report, and yes, more earnings. So how do you make sense of these market moves today. In particular, Dan, it was, it, it was technology that really lifted. It was. And, you know, technology, it wasn't a, a layup from the get-go yeah. here. We opened the morning with the news about Apple. And again, that was kind of a head-scratcher. If you think about it, we had their earnings just about two weeks ago. It was the only mega-cap tech name that actually traded well after its earnings here. And so the realization that maybe China sales aren't going to be as good as they just said two weeks ago was kind of weighing on the NASDAQ. But I think you had these dueling headlines. We're going to talk a little bit about why Meta, Facebook, was rallying a little bit. And I think that that's the sentiment that I think a lot of investors were like, listen, how much more bad news can we get for these names that have had nothing but bad news over the course of the year? So you think about we're heading into tomorrow again, like you said, Mel, we may not know the results of the election for a few days, but it seems very likely that we're going to have a bit of a split government. And I think that's the thing that investors, at least in the near term, before this CPI print on Thursday morning, we can kind of probably continue to rally a little bit. But at the end of the day, it doesn't feel like a great broad-based rally. Mike Santoli just said, the seasonality of year end or whatever, that's fine here, but we're still in a bit of a mess. And, you know, earnings are going to be declining next year. And I'm not sure the S&P um, multiple right now reflects where earnings are going to be in 2023. Yeah. So I agree with a lot of what Dan said. I think it was sort of interesting today. It was sort of levitating. I don't, I don't even really know exactly on what. Yeah. I don't know if maybe there's some feeling about China maybe reopening somewhat, but I think you also have to be concerned about the new... I don't know, Cold War, whatever you want to call it. So I don't know if that was part of it. I do think some of it has been the polls seem to keep showing more and more of a red turn to the election. So I guess that's part of it as well. And then CPI, I don't even know exactly what we're hoping for, right? I don't know what, um, I, I guess something right up the sort of middle of the fairway. But I think that um, if, it's, if it's on the cooler side, I think that will, again, spark a rally, even though the Fed has been quite hawkish. Yeah. I mean, this today's rally was the kind of rally where you look at your computer and it yeah. looks fine. You walk away <laughs> half an hour later and you're like, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> Which is basically what I did and saw the rally. <laughs> uh Nothing. I think really, you know, um, the underlying effects are sentiment has been a bit oversold. And we've talked to all types of strategists. Um, and alloc- asset allocators. And they've talked about how people are underinvested. And so I think uh, we talked about it a bit last week going into the Fed print. I-, I think there is this tendency right now to look for a reason to allocate to the upside so that you're not missing performance. 
and that becomes even more dire heading into the end of the year when you've got to turn in that scorecard. And so I think that that's a lot of the reason uh, for this. And then if you kind of look at uh, what's expected from the polls, you are expecting Republicans to at least take one of two seats there, right? And, and, you, and the, the presupposed uh, side effect of that is this, that will be positive and lead to this uh, midterm type of rally into the, the second half of the year that we've all expected. But uh, I'm with Dan. It's a push-pull between these short-term reasons for upside sentiment and an overhanging uh, monetary policy that is and, and Fed, which is not partisan, which is still the, the headwind that's kind of like overhanging this entire situation. I mean, Guy, was it a good sign that Apple was able to turn around pair losses, finish in the positive today, despite that news that had been sort of an overhang? Or would you have rather... This is not a would you rather, by the way. This, I'm just using the, the, the two words next to each other. Or would you have rather um, Apple actually sell off? Would that have been the opportunity to say, you know what, we are taking everything into consideration. The idea that iPhone demand may not be as strong will finally be factored into this stock and maybe we can approach a bottom. Yeah, I think that's the, the question is right. You're looking for the finish line here. When are we in the later innings of this market sell-off? And that's going to come, and Carter talks about this, that's going to come in the heels or in the wake of Apple probably trading down and making a new 52-week low, which obviously didn't happen today. So I guess if you're an Apple shareholder, you were somewhat happy about how it bounced back. But I think it just got dragged up with the broader market. It really had nothing to do with Apple itself. Apple has not traded well at all over the last week and a half. And quite frankly, other than those two days post-earnings. It hasn't traded well at all. And to try to you know, explain what happened today, you know, we've talked about it for a while, October 13th, 14th, and then that Monday the 17th. You know, the setup there was similar to what we saw in June. The rally makes sense under those confines, but I do think it's going to be somewhat short-lived. I thought it would last into the midterm elections. Well, well here we are, Melms. You know, it's interesting when you hear people talk about being underinvested as a stock market. We've heard that for, you know, in, yeah. for, since the financial crisis, right? But the thing that was really important about that whole period was that interest rates were really low. And Karen, how many times, maybe twice in the last month and a half, your final trade has been treasuries. The two-year treasury yields you 4.7%. And I know people, real investors with good heads on their shoulders about this sort of stuff who've been in markets for decades who are doing just that. So all of a sudden, there is an alternative. We have a very uncertain outlook. Look, we have the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield at 4.21%. That's where it closed today. And I don't think a lot of equity investors have actually experienced that and the weight that it will place on valuations in an uncertain macro environment. So here's a question for you. Okay. Let's say, since you are in the category of, a, of an investor with a good head on your shoulders. Thank you. According to Dan. Pretty good. <laughs> but if, you, if you had a bucket of money Take that, that you're... Dan. If I had a bucket of money. A bucket of money that okay. you're going to allocate to, to your Treasury. Right. Or if I told you today that the Republicans were going to take... Both, uh, both House and House the Senate. Senate. Uh huh. What would you rather put I, it in, you know, into your Treasuries or S and P 500 till year? Probably S and P 500. Although I do think that's priced in. I think if the if the Democrats keep one chamber, uh -huh. that will be a surprise, and the market will probably react negatively. Huh. I think. Same question to you, Bonwin. Bucket of money. I'm probably going with two year. Really? So you don't you don't believe in this whole like. You know, midterm election fueled rally till year I, I think that you're talking about uh, being an investor with a good head on your shoulders. And I'd like to think I'm one of those. And, and a lot of that is going to be based on what are statistical significant like situations. And so you've only got, what, two months for this to play out? If you're looking at any data point, you need enough observations for that to come true. Knowing that I'm going to collect 4.7% over the next two years, I, I, I'll take that. 
Q's and twos. Q's and twos. I mean, so what I've done over the last couple weeks is I bought some Meta, Amazon, Google, PayPal, all things that have really gapped down, and they've been down considerably over the course of the last year. I think the risk-reward entering new positions and some of those sorts of names that have earnings. I've been talking about Snap all summer. I finally sold it, okay, right below $10 today. It doesn't have earnings. And I think in this environment, if rates are going to stay bid, I think investors will get more comfortable with the names that have defensible earnings, defensible moats. And, you know, a Snap doesn't really do that right now. So, and I also think that yields are going to go lower. Can I just say one thing? You did a very good job. I did fine. You did good, uh, good work. Yeah. Making lemonade out of your snap position. We call it limeade, but whatever. Okay, whatever, still. Just give me a compliment. Okay, just I'll take it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. <laughs> and, and on. Thank you. Um, our next guest published a midterm election survival guide this morning laying out the different market scenarios. Let's bring in Lori Calvacina of RBC Capital Market. She's the head of U.S. Equity Strategy. Lori, welcome back to the NASDAQ. Great to have you back here in person. I know. Thanks um, for having fast. me. It's, it's great to be here. Um, so I just posed this question to traders. If we knew that the Republicans going to control Congress... Uh, you know, as a result of the elections, and what would you do? I mean, you think that's the best case scenario for the S&P 500? Yeah, look, I think that the idea that they're going to take back the House, I think that's pretty much baked into the market. I'm not saying it won't be a good thing. We won't have a few days of feeling good. It won't give us some stability. But I think if you really want a big kicker in the S&P, they need to take back the Senate as well. And I think you also need to watch the governor's races and see how they do there, because that's going to be viewed as a read-through into 2024 and how much momentum Republicans really have going into the presidential contest. How, how strong of a catalyst do you think um, Republican-controlled Congress could be for equities into year-end? I mean, we are disposing the question of two-year, knowing that you're going to collect 4.7 percent, or S&P 500 on the back of the, of the midterms if the Republicans sweep. What's your view? So if you look back at 2002, and that's a year actually that 2022 looks a lot like. There's about a 76% correlation. It was another midterm year. You actually got a 20% bounce off of the lows ahead of the election into the time frame, say, around Thanksgiving. So we may be about kind of halfway done, um, given the move that we've already seen, if you kind of go back to the recent high. So you could get a pretty substantial move from here. But just remember, back in 2002, you didn't hang on to it in December. Markets started trading down and went back and retested the low in March. Laura, thanks so much for uh, shedding, you know, your, sharing your opinions with us and joining us here tonight. A quick question, just in terms of time frame of investment or, or how this might affect, are you looking for a, a possible Repo- Republican sweep to lead to a three or six month type of rally situation? Or are we talking about a much more sustainable rally to markets? I, I think it's a great question. You know, if you go back and look at the history of midterm elections, you tend to get a bounce in the fourth quarter and it does tend to bleed through into the following year. The problem with that is if you look in three of the past four years, you You've gotten the 4Q bounce, but you've gotten flattish returns the following year. So I think it depends to some extent on how strong the fourth quarter move is. Um, And to be honest, I'm starting to fade the idea that this is going to be a big impact on 2023, just because I don't think there are a lot of terribly interesting sector implications right now. I think this is a broad market feel-good trade, but outside of energy, I think I kind of struggle to come up with the sector beneficiaries. But in terms of the overall market sort of impact, what, what are the major impacts you see on the market? Is it just the idea that taxes won't go higher or fiscal spending will will remain in check i think those are those are definitely at play but i actually did a survey of my analysts a few Mm -hmm. weeks ago and asked them about this issue and the ones most of them actually thought it didn't matter at all but among those who did think that the election mattered they all pointed to the regulatory backdrop and they thought that would be the big feed through not that not that interesting to talk about on tv but that's where (laughs) their heads were at so it used to be the republicans were the you know close the purse don't spend money that seems to have changed over the last i don't know how long do you think though it sounds like you think the market will react that way as if it's the old republican 
I think so. I mean, when I talk to investors, I think they like the idea of gridlock. I think that they don't want any more kind of inflationary fiscal spending coming from the Democrats. I mean, that's it's really sort of the absence of doing anything more. Um, and again, I think that regulatory backdrop is something people think about a lot. But I, I wouldn't discount this whole idea of just what does it mean for a longer term, because I think that people are starting to think about, you know, 2024, that's going to be here before we know it. That race is really going to go ahead and start heating up next year. So I think it's the longer term implications of what does this mean in the larger election cycle. Laurie, great to have you with us. Thanks for coming by. Thanks for having me. Laurie Calvacina of RBC. Yeah, I'd say more importantly, like, let's think about what does a stagflationary environment actually do to equity valuations? What does it do to the investment landscape? And I think that's probably the most important thing for 2023, no matter what happens you know, this week in the midterms, because we have a situation where none of us thought the Fed was going to be as hawkish as they were when we spoke last week. And then so they could be wrong. They were wrong about, you know, like the, the, the pace of inflation rising. So I guess the point is when I'm thinking about my portfolio, I'm thinking about different sectors, I'm thinking about, OK, what's going to do okay, at least maybe less bad, in an environment where maybe the three, you know, the, the, the 10-year is at 3.5% or something like that, and maybe growth is below the target rate. Maybe inflation is higher than where the Fed would like it to be somewhere in the low single digits. And those are the sorts of stocks that I think are going to do well. I just don't think it's going to be a great return environment as a monolith investing in stocks in an environment where rates are going to be high and you know we're going to have increased inflationary pressures, especially versus what we had three years ago. Um, the 10-year being though at three and a half percent still high but it's, it's better than now you know and like, it's good for your key i mean it's good for cues. yeah it, it, for I, I think it technology. should be good for cues because look, like we talked about this over the last week when we saw the 10-year go above four percent what really got started to get hit there's a lot of names that don't have earnings high valuations right. it was basically the theme of when things started to roll over in late 2021 when the fed made it clear that they were going to battle inflation by raising interest rates right uh but guy i think that you would posit you have posited actually that three and a half percent means the world is going pear-shaped, and so that's actually negative overall, more negative than positive. That's a, yeah, and I know you write notes down in your book, so you do recall, I do. and I agree with that 100%. I mean, absolutely, if yields go lower, it's not because magically everything, things, things got better. It's probably because the market's selling off and there's a flight to quality in the form of bonds, or people are coming to the realization that things are slowing down, not only here, but globally, and, and the back end of the curve should be lower. So... I understand the knee-jerk reaction might be higher for the market, but I think when people come to their senses, it'll be short-lived. All right. Uh, we got an earnings alert here on Take-Two. The stock is plunging after its forecast for bookings. Missed estimates. It's down 16% right now. Steve Kovacs got the details. Steve. Hey there, Mel. Yeah, it's the revised guidance downward for the holiday quarter and the rest of the fiscal year that's hurting Take-Two shares, particularly in mobile. But let me get to the results first. Loss per share of $1.54. We're not comparing that. Revenue was a slight miss, though, at $1.5 billion versus $1.55 billion expected. Now let's get to that weak guidance for the current quarter. Take-Two expecting up to $1.46 billion of revenue. Street was looking for $1.69 billion. And full-year sales revised to up to $5.5 billion on the high end versus $5.89 billion expected. So let me explain what's going on here. Take-Two was blaming a variety of factors for that weaker guidance. No new blockbuster games launching, 
foreign exchange headwinds like we've been hearing from everyone else. And this is the big one, the drop in mobile gaming spend. In fact, CFO saying on the call just now, 70% of downward revision in that guidance was due to a fall in mobile gaming spend. Now, look, this shouldn't be a huge surprise. Last week, Electronic Arts saw a drastic drop in mobile growth, dropping from 27%, uh, dropping to 27% from 48% in the year ago quarter. And a week before that, Apple said App Store sales were hurt by a drop in mobile gaming as well. So a couple more mobile gaming uh, dependent companies are going to be reporting Wednesday. We have Roblox and Unity Software, which will give us a clearer picture of how all well gaming can hold up in this macro environment. But so far, guys, it's not looking so strong. Is there detail, Steve, in terms of mobile gaming spend? What What is the driver of that? Is it in-game purchases or is it the actual download, the purchase of the games? Yeah, they haven't said that. A lot of these okay. companies, though, Mel, do make money from in, in-app purchases. So when you talk about mobile gaming, it's those games you can download for free, but you have to buy virtual items digitally within the game. So that's where most of the money comes from in general. Yep. Steve, thanks. Sure thing. Steve Kovac, um, you know, this is really a sign of the times. You know, when, when times are tough and you've got limited, limited money or you, your money has to go elsewhere, the things you cut back on are the things that you spend in that moment, like these in-app purchases guy. Yeah, it's interesting. Now, look, the stock, I think it's trading 91 or so. So the market cap is probably either side of $16 billion. So right now it's probably trading about two times revenue. Dan can speak to that. But if you're looking for support, it will come in the form of about 88 bucks, which was the level we bounced from and bottomed out at in February of 2019. So despite this brutal guidance, this third quarter guidance is just, it's awful. Uh, if it gets down to 88 for a trade, I think you can buy take two. Yeah, I usually think of Strauss Zelnick as sort of a under-promise, over-deliverer, and he right. likes to sort of talk expectations down. I think this is this a is more than that. that. Oh, more a little than, bit, yeah. but not entirely. Sometimes it's entirely that. This, I think, is, is worse. Yeah. All right. Coming up, more after hours action coming your way. Shares of Lyft hitting the skids after its report. What is driving the shares lower next? Plus, the most dangerous period for oil prices. The big warning from energy expert Tom Kloza in moments. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your 
your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert for Lyft. Shares dropping after hours after a miss on revenues. The number of active riders also fell short of estimates. Stock is down 12.5%. Deirdre Bose has got the details on that guidance. Debo. Mel, you just mentioned it. The most bearish number in that report may be that active riders. It was nearly a million short, suggesting what many have been fearing, that Lyft is losing market share to its larger rival. On top of that, revenue guidance coming in light and its path to profitability still somewhat unclear as its Q4 adjusted EBITDA guide came up as well, the margin that is. CEO Logan Green says, though, that profitability is on track. He still expects to hit those 2024 targets they laid out before. That's one bill in adjusted EBITDA, $700 million in free cash flow. Most of the call so far has been focused on cost-cutting measures. Green told investors to expect some $350 million in savings on an annualized basis from three categories, headcount, operating expenses, and real estate. Now, that includes layoffs that were announced last week. It includes cutting back on marketing, getting insurance costs down, as well as cutting office space by about half as its workforce moves to more remote. Even that cost-cutting, though, not helping shares that are plunging in the after-hours. This is a company that continues to underperform the broader markets, underperform tech, and especially other gig economy names, most notably its rival Uber. That divergence this year has just been growing, especially with this report now. Finally, Mel Domus, Lyft President John Zimmer on Squawk Box tomorrow morning. All right, Debo, thank you. Deidre Bosa for us on Lyft. Um, it's tough to cut back on spending in a game <laughs> that had been dominated by spending and growing at all costs. And now the switch for Lyft and having to compete with Uber, that's a tough one, tough pivot to make. It's, it's a tough pivot and a really challenging environment. And, you know, again, I mean, when you think about their business here and core business in North America, you know, a year or two ago, we were like, well, why is Uber doubling down on all this, you know, delivery? Right. And, and, and it actually has helped him. I mean, I was dead wrong on that. I thought, like, as a pure play, you know, North America rideshare, this would be a really good thing. All that being said, I just say with their cash balance and with their focus on getting to profitability, cutting costs right now, I do think, though, as we think more about kind of the, you know, the, the, the autonomy future of, of this business, this is a company with like a $3.5 billion enterprise value with a whole ton of data being in business the last 10 years. I actually think, I think I said this a few weeks ago, if this stock has a single-digit you know, price tag on it, I think it really does become a, a very quick takeover. Yeah, I think I got to pull up myself to the table and eat a little bit of crow as well. I mean, I, I thought this was definitely a, a pretty fantastic pure play, and I question Uber's core business, right? Like, the, we're knocking these companies for growing at all costs, and we, it really felt like they were making a land grab at everything that was exogenous to their core business. Fast forward to now, and you really start to read through the, the earnings reports. Last week, Uber gave a, a very a much rosier picture in terms of um, rideshare, uh, availability of drivers, and people actually perhaps leaning on inflationary pressures to take up uh, rideshare. You kind of fast forward now to lifts and it's all coming from the risk reduction cost reduction side and while i will give them credit for getting ahead of the ball it is kind of a tell of two cities in terms of how the operations of these two companies are playing out 
Karen? Uh, I, I agree with every single thing Dan said and every single thing you said, including the crow. Yeah. Me too. Um, because I like Lyft for the reason that you do. And I still think it's interesting, both on the balance sheet issue, that they do have, they do have time. But, you know, the, the sort of fundamental problem of today's earning fewer riders below the pandemic number. That's, that's problematic, though it, it, this, this enterprise value is really not expensive. All right, coming up, energy expert Tom Kloza weighs in on the current diesel market. Why he's so worried about the next few months, that interview is next. Plus, Meta on the move, reports of large-scale layoffs hitting the company, but is the move too little too late for the stock? we got the details next. You're watching Fast Money live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. A potential energy crisis looming over the markets. Diesel prices soaring as the inventory of distillate products is at a record low for this time of year, just as we enter the key winter months when demand is high. And it could be about to get worse. Our next guest warns diesel prices could go haywire the next 100 days. Tom Kloza is the co-founder and global head of energy analysis at the Oil Price Information Service. Tom, it's always great to speak with you. Hi, I'm Alyssa. How are you today? Hi, Hi. there. Um, not not good considering what you said about the next 100 days. The quote is, we are on the vanguard of entering the most dangerous period. How dangerous is this in your view and how high could prices go? Well, the quote to Music Man, I think it's trouble with a capital T. And uh, we've got the lowest inventories of diesel and diesel and heating oil are basically the same molecules. We've got the lowest inventory that we've had since 1982. And we've added three and a half billion people uh, to sort of the uh, the world since then. So it's very dangerous. We've already seen numbers that are trading 50 to $100 a barrel above the price of crude oil. And it can go parabolic some more. I'm sure if you had your technical analyst, he could talk about the potential for trading at 2 and $3 above the futures price. And the physical numbers are already there right now. Tom, crude oil is the headline maker, but the products are really what drives everything. Products like diesel, heating oil, gasoline, those types of things. And listen, they're back on their horse. I'm not looking to play stock market, as I like to say, but I would imagine names like Valero, Refiners, Downstream Plays, they really went to this environment. Oh, uh, I don't think they went so much. I think they like this environment. I listened to a refiner's earnings call today. And they said nothing about the fourth quarter. Now we're almost 40 days into the fourth quarter. And I can tell you that the margins that they're making on diesel, on jet fuel, on kerosene or heating oil are way off the charts and are as much as five or seven times what they used to make. I think they probably fear that somewhere along the lines in the energy transition that this will hasten us weaning off of fossil fuels. But that's not going to happen for the next uh, 14 months. And probably doesn't really change until 2024 when we get a bunch of world-class new global refineries in Asia, in the Middle East, uh, that really make some more molecules that we'll, we'll need by then. 
Um, Tom, we're talking about heating oil in, and diesel. Uh, that's that's really, I don't want to say a northeast problem because obviously diesel is used everywhere, but heating oil is, is more specific to the northeast. Um, and so the way consumers will experience this will be higher heating bills for their home, will be surcharges on, on shipments and things like that. How will the global market react? And what, what do you think we'll see in Europe in particular when it comes to this energy crisis? Well, it's, it's very insidious to inflation. I mean, in the Northeast, you still have millions of people who have heating oil. And I talked to one last week that had a delivery at 5.90 a gallon. Now, in a typical winter, you might use 700 gallons, so you can do the math. And in Europe, you know, Europe is really dependent upon Russia, or it has been dependent upon Russia for the last few years. And we don't know what's going to happen December 5th. There's two dates, Melissa, we need to keep in mind. December 5th is the date that the European Union wants to boycott Russian crude oil. February 5th is the date that they want to boycott Russian refined products. And we've never been through anything like this before. We've got a, a, a desperate despot in Vladimir Putin, and who knows what he may do, or he may try for retribution in some area. Tom, thanks for your, for your insight. We appreciate it. It's such a warm thought, you know, coming into the winter, isn't it? It's tough. <laughs> it really is. Well, at least it's 70 degrees in New York, so maybe the heating oil bill won't be so bad this, this winter after all. Um, great to speak with you, Tom. Appreciate it. Um, Guy, I'm going to ask you to play stock market then after hearing what Tom said. <laughs> where, where do you think investors should be if this scenario plays out that Tom is, is outlining? Yeah, hopefully the places that we've been telling people to be for quite some time. I mean, between Exxon, ConocoPhillips, and Chevron, all making new all-time highs over the last couple of days. Levered names like PSX, uh, refiners like Valero, Karen's OIH, which is now up, uh, I want to say, north of 50% in little over a month. Now, the right thing to do, the, the, I guess the discipline to do thing to do is to take some money off the table. I don't think that's the right thing to do, though, this environment. I think there's going to be a next leg higher that nobody sees coming. Mm, guy saying, throw caution to the wind, Bono, when it comes to this trade. I mean, he said a lot of things, and a lot of them made sense. Um, you sound uh, surprised. Uh, no, wait, hey, Guy, don't, don't let them drive a wedge between us. We've got a great thing going on here. Um, so the refiners, you mentioned the refiners a couple times in your, in your question to Tom, and then you repeated them again. And I think, you know, it's particularly reading his research report, they're the, the, the big winners here. Um, and I think you probably continue to stick with those names. Uh, I think Karen also has done a great job with OIH. And if you want to kind of move up the, uh, the spectrum and, and be right there with the EMP names, I, I still think those have a bit to run. Uh, ultimately, the, the energy complex is really where earnings um, revisions still have room to run to the upside, regardless of the partisan outcome. And I think that's really the only sector you can really point to uh, in the current environment. Yeah, and I just think it seems like a very consensus trade right here. You look at the XLE, we know 40% of that is Exxon and Chevron. It closed at a matched 52-week high. Go back 10 years to 2014, it's a little less than 10 years, but the 10-year chart, and you have maybe up to 100. So I think you have like a 10 up, 30 down scenario in the next wow. three to six months. I just don't think it's a great risk reward. And then the OAH, for some of you guys who like playing blow, uh, you know, breakouts, that sort of thing, does, do these things look like great technical breakout candidates? Maybe, but they've also had these 30%, 40% swoons after they've gotten to levels like this over the course of last year. So I'd just be very careful. It seems consensus right here. So Karen's yeah. OAH trade is yes. mentioned several Thank you times for calling it my OAH trade. Your OAH trade that. of, you know, yeah. a lot, a lot. the past, 47%. Right. 
What do you what do you do with it? I You're think you got to take some money off the table, mm -hmm. probably selling upside calls that are probably a little bit pumped. That's what I would look to do. I have what we call a Texas hedge on, which is long and long, which is the XLE similar chart. Um, so I, I, I agree with Dan. I got to I got to sell little upside calls here. Bono, when you raise your hand, so I will call on yeah. you. So, so, so quick question. If we think that there's a probability of going to the upside from now to over the next three months and it's not going to happen and we're taking chips off the table in energy, where's the rally coming from? Well, here's the thing. I'll answer that question. I mean, energy is less than 5% of the S&P 500 is waiting in a disproportionate amount of the earnings growth that we've seen in the S&P this year. That's expected to trail off in Q2 of next year, okay, assuming that, you know, there's no new war or something like that or whatever. And then the stuff that, you know, like that's acted really poorly, mega cap tech, I mean, should be the thing. So I think you'll see a rotation back into some of those, those leaders in the prior, you know, leg. I mean, you could say, I mean, if, if peace breaks out, yeah. that would be market up, energy down in a big way. True. In the odds way. of that, who knows? Small. Right. Yes. All right. Coming up. Matt on the move. Shares heading higher after reports that layoffs could be coming. But is this enough to give the stock a thumbs up again? You got that debate next. Plus, anything but enlightened. Shares of Carvana continuing to drop in Karen's eye in the company's debt. She will explain what she is looking at when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another look at the market today. All three major ra averages rallying for a second day in a row. The Dow at more than 420 points. That's a gain of more the, than a percent. The S&P and Nasdaq each rising nearly a percent. Apple shares also ending the day in the green, erasing losses from early in the session. The stock initially dropping on news that it will reduce production of its highest-end iPhone. On the other hand, shares of Palantir tumbling 11 percent after the company missed earnings estimates, though beat on revenue. Well, shares of Meta jumping 6.5% today and reports that the company is planning to lay off thousands of workers this week, anticipated to be the most sweeping cuts in the company's history. Meta also among the, uh, still among the worst S&P 500 performers this year, down 71% since January. So if you own the stock, has it hit a bottom? Is this enough? Is this going to do it, Karen? I hope so. I mean, this is really... Um I'd like to go back to talking about Karen's OIH instead of Karen's <laughs> Meta, but I am here. I am long it. I just, you know, I think this is a very tiny start. We've got, they've got to do a lot of this. We can see how much the market likes it, but there's a lot more to do. On the conference call in the third quarter, I mean, Zuckerberg was talking about the company being ending the year basically at the same size or slightly smaller. I didn't think that the most sweeping cuts in the company's history sort of fit in with that. I, I think that 25% one-day downdraft could could kind of change your mind on that when you think uh -huh. about it. I and mean, listen, you know, I, I bought the stock, I think, just below 100 right after that gap. And to me, you know, I just think when sentiment goes so far the other way, the stock at the, at the lows was down, you know, 78% from its all-time highs. You couldn't find anyone to say a good thing about it. And so, again, it doesn't take too much of change in sentiment to get people either covering shorts or rethinking what an opportunity might be. And whatever your time horizon is, listen, I'm not a Zuckerberg fan. I'm not a fan of their products. I'm not a fan of his vision of the future. He's obviously massively mis-executed in the last year. Whatever they thought they saw in 2021 that was causing them to change their business model, they got it all wrong. But that doesn't mean this stock can't rally 25% on a couple of headlines of decent news and fill in that earnings gap. And that's the trade that I have on. I, this is not something that I think I'm going to be in for a long time. The last thing I'll just say is if you look at estimates for next year, they might have come down enough. 
we're supposed to see as, you know, earnings and sales that are expected to be like flattish after a big decline this year. So this stock is trading at like 10 times next year's earnings. It looks worth a shot to me. Guy, you with Dan and Karen on this one? Yeah. And listen, again, I'll, I'll amplify that. Yeah. No, Mark Zuckerberg and I are not watching the giant game this weekend by by any stretch of the imagination. We're not hanging out. I'm sure he feels the same way about me. However, um, you can probably buy the stock here for a trade. And I took away I mean, layoffs, I guess that's the headline to me it was Barry Diller's comments this morning on Squawk Box when they asked him about TikTok. And he said, TikTok's going to be banned here in the United States. Now, I don't have any insight into that, but I will tell you that um, chorus is getting louder and louder. And if TikTok were to go away, forget about you know, the uproar there would be amongst many of our citizens. Facebook will rally 25% on that alone. Bodwin, this sounds like an options play to me. If you, if, you think, <laughs> if you want to play meta for a ban on TikTok, that seems like the best way to do it. I don't know. Uh, maybe you can sell a risky if you've got um, if you've got the stomach for it. I remember a couple of shows back, Karen asked me, "Well, when would you buy this stock? Or what would you need to see?" Mm-hmm. And I find it a bit ironic that they're cutting, you know, um, they're cutting some of their opex while still continuing to allocate money to the metaverse. But it kind of makes sense. They're still driving forward. They're saying this is where the growth is. And they're finding they're at least acknowledging that they need to slow down the spend. I mean, I don't see why not. Again, I do think it's kind of a trade situation. The last time we saw the TikTok news, I think the stock was up 2%. But I mean, it's, it's a flyer. But I'm not going to sit here and stand behind and say the company has completely turned things around and reorganized. And now I'm a, I'm a believer. But, you know, you can make money in up and down markets. And I think this is an opportunity. Yeah, one last thing. Talking to a bunch of tech folks over the last like week or two, I will tell you this with all of the fear about the cuts at Twitter now obviously you know Facebook says they're laying people off they will hire good people so I think there's a lot of Twitter people and a lot of snap people mm. who actually want to make the move mm. um, and, and and really if Facebook will be a net hire of really good talent at this point just to add to Dan's point it's it, they have some cover because everybody's cutting yeah. right right that's true that is good for them right Coming up, bad karma for Carvana. Shares continuing to slide, and there could be more pain to come with the company's debt details could tell us, plus Tesla charging into some trouble. The levels you need to watch before it's too late. The Chartmaster will join us next to lay it all out. More Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Carvana plunging for a second day, dropping to its lowest price on record. The move coming after the online used car retailer posted its biggest single day loss since going public on Friday. Meantime, the company's debt is now yielding almost 30 percent. So what do these extreme levels tell us? Karen's got the fine print. Yes. So something to know about the bond market. Bond investors are always smarter than equity investors. So you got to look to what what are they saying? So we look at this particular bond, this 10 and a quarter of 2030, right? And let's look at what's happened to the yield. It's up to 29% now. That's the yield every year between now and 2030, if it pays off. So that's telling you the bond market does not think this is going to be paying off. They're expecting a bankruptcy. And then it'll be a question of what is that worth? Mm-hmm. Right. So if I were Carvana, I have no doubt they're trying to think of everything they possibly can, how to stay liquid or what they can do. They're going to run out of money if they don't do something. And actually, I wouldn't be shocked if at some point we don't see a 10Q that says uh, there's a question about this as an ongoing concern. Wow. Those words tend to freak people out. Yeah. But it's not surprising. So I, I'm sort of surprised that the stock is up here. Big short interest. Maybe that's what's keeping it afloat. But 
not looking good. Well, it's interesting. So, Karen, you just did your finer print. We love that. I mean, this brings me back to like 20 years ago. Lori just said this reminds me of 20, uh, 2001. Or two. mm-hmm. We saw stocks, you know, traders use this expression all the time. That's a zero. It's going to zero. Stocks generally don't go to zero for the most part. But when you see a company like this, there were so many smart people who are questioning this business model. It had a 40 billion plus market cap a year and a half ago, and now it's going to be bankrupt. I just think that's really good. I, I think it's good if you're looking for signs are we close to a bottom? Did you say $30 billion? <clears throat> It was over $40 billion. Mel, we did a segment where I was pitching AutoNation on a relative basis I, yeah. because AutoNation was trading at a fraction of the valuation, except they had four times the sales <laughs> and they were profitable. You know what I mean? So yeah. th- this was in June of 2020 or something like that. So I guess my point is this is healthy to see these sorts of over-exuberant sort of situations yeah. go to zero. Mike Coe joins us now for a look into how Carvana's options are trading. Mike, if memory serves me, you actually sold a car in Carvana way early on in the early days of Carvana. But you actually saw a big trade today that that was exactly what Karen was referring to. Your memory always astonishes me. Uh, that's correct, actually. I did. I, when Carvana first came out, um, there I was living in Austin at the time, and they, they had a big... Uh, vending machine there, and I did end up selling one of our cars to Carvana at what I thought was a very attractive price, and I wondered about their business model at the time when I realized that they were paying me very close to what I had paid for a car four years after I bought it new, which seemed like uh, a very difficult situation. So (laughs) we saw more than four times the average daily put volume, very long dated paper. January 2024, we saw somebody roll 6,800 12 and a half strike puts down to 11.7 thousand of the five strike puts. And those traded for $2.25 a contract. Now think about that for a second. The stock's trading over $7 and you're paying very nearly half the strike price to buy puts that expire in just over a year. And why would somebody do this? Chances are, if you own some of the debt that Karen was talking about, this would be a decent way to hedge it. Now, of course, when a company liquidates, the equity usually goes to zero. Sometimes, I'm not saying that's the case here, they have a little bit of inventory and they have some plant equipment. Sometimes there's a recovery rate on the bonds and it's an arbitrage trade. I think that's what's going on here. Mike, thank you. It did stick out in my mind when you were questioning the business model back then. I've always remembered that, Mike. <laughs> For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, Tesla technicals. Why the EV maker could be in for some rough roads ahead. The chart master, Carter Worth, is laying out his case next. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out Tesla dropping below $200 a share for the first time since last May. And the chartmaster says the electric automaker could be due for even more losses. Carter Worth joins us now. Carter. Yeah, I, I uh, even think maybe it's not could, but is due for more losses. Uh, let's let's look at the charts. I have seven, I believe. Sounds like a lot, but they're all the same time frame. So here we go. There is a chart of Tesla, basically two, three-year chart. No drawings, no lines, no judgments. Let's put some lines in. So what do we know? We know that there's a well-defined uptrend line. We broke trend, and then we rallied back to the underside of that line, hit our head to the penny, and then uh, basically straight down over the last three, four weeks. Look at the next iteration. What this tries to point out is the authority of that line. So the line 
was support and the stock kept bouncing off it. But once you undercut that line, it becomes a level of overhead supply or resistance. The arrows annotate that. Let's draw the lines another way. So um, here's the down arrow, and that's key. Are we going lower from here? Here's why I think we are. Look at the next iteration. This is as well-formed a topping out formation as you can find. Um, you can call it a head and shoulders. It doesn't matter what you call it. We know that the stock peaked before the stock market, and today it made a new 52-week low. Not many stocks in the S&P did that, only a dozen or so. That's a problem. Let's keep going. Next iteration. Look at those lines on the way up and on the way down. Those are perfectly uh, symmetrical lines. Tesla has hit those lines repeatedly. Last and final iteration. Basically, what do we know? The stock is breaking below its June lows. The market is above its June lows. Only a few stocks are as bad as this, but given its size and its um, its constituents, its, its beloved, uh, I think it's a big problem. Carter, thank you. Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Guy, I'm going to bring back a, an old line fast money game that we used to play a long time ago. It was called higher or lower. I know that you remember this. So Tesla, higher or lower based on what the chart master just laid out. So if I think the stock is going higher, I say higher. That's the correct way to play this game. <laughs> I think game. this is why we got rid of it. Lower. <laughs> yes. Lower. Yes, that is how you lower. play it. Okay. Lower. And we've been saying, listen, it's not like we just said this, and we've been saying it for a while. The stock's now 50-50% off its all-time high, and I think it's headed to 175. We've been saying that for a while, so lower, Melms. Bonwin, what do you think? Lower. Lower with a question. Does this mean this is a leader to the downside, or is this the bottoming out that people are looking for for a rally? Hmm. What do you is say? Is that a new game? I'm really confused. All right, listen. I think it, all right, here's the thing. I, I think it's going lower because I think these are Tesla shareholders voting with their shares. Elon owns 15% of this company. Then I look at Vanguard, BlackRock, Capital Group, State Street own about a 20%. So think about that. Those are really concentrated holdings, about 40% or so. I doubt, maybe I doubt they're selling, but a lot of other people, a lot of these disciples who are in it for the Elon trade are peeling out. They're watching the CEO of this company all day spending time on Twitter, tweeting stuff that is actually alienating potential Twitter customers. And then let's not forget all the issues that they have with China, zero COVID, uh, access to rare earth materials for their battery. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. This is probably not only one of the worst looking charts in the entire stock market, it's probably right now, for right now, one of the worst fundamental stories too. Well, I mean, if Apple's also talking about demand for its highest level iPhone, then maybe there's a problem with their cars too, in terms of demand. Um, Up next, final trades. Lockheed Martin, sister. Karen Feinerman. Yes, I know you could hope for a meme stock, but don't buy Carvana hoping for a meme stock because it's far more likely to be something else not good. Bonoin. High yield spreads have come in quite a bit. I'd be looking at J&K from the short side. Dan Nathan. Yeah, PayPal post earnings. I like that gap lower. I like buying it on that gap lower somewhat. All right. Thanks for watching Fast Money. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, 
No one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.